If you brought your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Luke this morning, uh, Luke chapter 1 for most of the message, and I want to, um, to bring to you a kind of a, a different uh, take on our Christmas message this morning. I know that many of you are very familiar with the Christmas story, and, and yet I think there's so much more to this story that sometimes we fail to unpack, but for us to be able to consider this incredible miracle of the Christmas story, I think that we need to kind of take back and, and, and set it back in the historical context that it that it took place in. Um, if you uh, are a student of, of, of church history or even of Christianity, you, you remember that there was a gap of about 400 plus years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In other words, uh, God was speaking through his prophets in the Old Testament and, and then he stopped. And for 400 years, the people of Israel had not really heard a word from God. There had been no prophets that had come and spoken on God's behalf. There were false prophets and there were people who came claiming to be prophets, but but the words from God himself had stopped 400 years prior to the coming of Christ. Um, there was no prophetic word spoken. Rome had held kind of a political power and authority over Israel. Uh, the morality of the Israelites was at a, at a low point, to say the, the least. Uh, and religion of that day, the, the Jewish religion, had become corrupted with priests who were more in it for themselves than they were for the Lord. They were priests who, who really had 400 years of silence from God and, 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 and things had begun to kind of slide. Uh, many in that day had probably begun to wonder if God had just walked away, if God had given up on them, if God still had a purpose and a plan for the people of Israel or not. And, and, and to be honest, we had to, to wonder and question if the people had even noticed God's absence. Uh, while previous generations had looked forward to the Messiah and, and anticipated his coming, I wonder if the people of this day still had that same anticipation. Um, in, into this dismal spiritual climate, God stepped. The time had come for God to act, and that time was now. And most of you are very familiar with the Christmas story. You you're familiar with the fact that prior to, about six months prior to the announcement to Mary that she would be conceiving the, the son of God, that God approached another man named Zechariah. He was a priest. His wife also came from a priestly line, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were older and, and well up in years, Scripture says. And uh, Zechariah was a priest, and he was chosen by Lot to, to go into the temple and to burn incense before the Lord. And it was a privilege that was given to him, but it was, he was chosen by Lot to go in and to do that. And, and while he was there in the temple burning incense to the Lord, an angel appeared to him. An angel named Gabriel shows up. And, and he's startled and he's frightened at the presence of somebody else in that room with him. And the angel begins to speak to him and tells him that, that he's been chosen by God to, to have a son and that that son would be named John. And that even in his old age, his wife Elizabeth and he would be given a child. This message from the angel seemed too good to be true. It was a dream that they had had years and years and years ago, and now it was finally coming to fruition, but this dream seemed too good to be true. And, and he questions the angel, and you see doubt in his voice, and you know that, that he's not sure that this can be trusted. And the angel says because of his doubt that he would be stricken mute until after the child was born. So he comes back out, and all the people wondered why he was in there for so long, and, and he can't speak, and they knew that something had happened in there in the presence of God. He lets Elizabeth know what the angel said, and it's not long before she's pregnant. 
And she has conceived in herself the one who was barren, a son that God said would be a prophet, the first prophet in over 400 years to come and to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight the paths of the Lord, to turn the people's heart back to God and to lead them to repentance, to get them ready for the coming of the Messiah. There was a lot of work for John to do because the culture and the climate and the spiritual condition of the people was so sad. And John was going to be the guy that would prepare the way for the Messiah. And then six months later, six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, that same angel, Gabriel, appears to a lady named Mary. She was actually a young, very young lady, most would say in her early teens. She was a virgin. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. They had yet to come together. They had yet to consummate the, the marriage. They were, they were told, and she was told, that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. He would be the Savior of the world. Only one problem stood in, in Mary's mind, and that was that she was still a virgin. And, and virgins don't have children, and she didn't know how that God was going to do that, but she trusted that he had a way. And, and, and the angel begins to explain to her what's going to happen, and she agrees, and she signs on immediately to be a part of God's plan. Joseph, however, took a little more convincing it took him a little bit longer to get on board. Mary came with the story and she told him that she was pregnant and that the, the, the conception had taken place with the power of God, not with the power of man. And, 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 and as any of us men would do, Joseph looks at her with some suspicion. But soon Joseph signs on and the two set out to fulfill God's plan for their life. This morning, I want to dive beneath the story just a little bit, and I want us to, to go below the surface, and I want us to see that at least four truths that stand out to me this morning. I know there's millions of more truths in this story, but four that stand out to me this morning that, that I think are very relevant for us today. The first thing that I see in these two couples, the first thing I see in, in, in both of their stories is this, that you're not too young, nor are you too old for God to use. In, in God's story, when he comes back to the people of Israel, he's, began to, he, he's, he's getting ready to, to start this work of bringing the Messiah into the world. We see through, uh, through uh, uh, Zechariah and through Elizabeth that you're not too old for God to use. Now, their society had written them off. The, the, the world told them that they were too old. The world told them that their childbearing years were, were way past in the rearview mirror. But, but they knew, and God demonstrated that even though they were well beyond childbearing years, that they were not too old for God to use. You see, their dream was in the rearview mirror. Their dream was, was long behind them. They had probably resigned themselves to this thought of having an empty nest their whole life. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, God had other plans. In verse 13, it says, the angel said to him, to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. The angel tells Zechariah, your prayer's been heard. What the angel did not say was, when God heard that prayer. I, you know, I, I used to read this and think, man, he's in the temple, and he's still praying. Here's a man still asking God for a child, even though he's well beyond his years. The angel doesn't say that, and the text doesn't say that. In fact, the text doesn't tell us when God heard his prayer. It could have been that God heard it years ago when he was a young man. It could have been that Zechariah already gave up on that dream and had moved on. We don't know. But nevertheless, what's important is not when God heard it, but that God heard his prayer. 
And that in God's perfect timing, that prayer was going to be answered. Not in in Zechariah's timing, not in Elizabeth's timing, not in the world's timing, but in God's perfect timing, that prayer was going to be answered. So either way, God heard it, and now God was responding. But these guys were old. They were advanced in years. Their best years, they thought, were behind them. And in their mind, I'm sure that they were just trying to finish faithful. For some of you here, that's, that's your goal right now. I just want to finish faithful. I don't see God with big plans for me. I don't see God turning the world upside down with me. I just want to finish faithful. And that's a great goal. Unless God's not done with you yet. Unless God still has something more that he wants to do through your life. It's great to want to finish faithful. But finishing faithful means that I'm going to follow God's plan. No matter what it is, no matter when it comes. I'm going to say yes to him. And so when they least expected it, God showed up. He he interrupts their retirement party, if you will, and he says, I've got something that I want you to do. I've got a plan that I want to carry out through you. And God announces that he's not done with them yet. Seniors, aren't you glad that you're never too old for God to use you? That you're never too old for God to say, I'm still not done. The fact that you're still breathing, the fact that you're still here, the fact that you're still wanting to hear from God means that God's not done with you yet. You're never too old for God to use. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, then there's Joseph and there's Mary. These, these young teenagers, and, and, and many would say 13, 14, 15 years old, somewhere in that range, we don't know for sure, but, but young teenagers recently engaged no doubt making plans for this big Jewish wedding this week-long feast that most Jews would would throw when their kids got married they're in the middle of making these wedding plans Joseph who was a carpenter was probably working on the home that he and his wife would inhabit and raise their children We, we know from from John that, that, that the custom of that day was for the, the young man to, to make the betrothal and then to go home and prepare a place for his wife. And when that place was finished and the time was right, he would go and he would grab his bride and bring her for the celebration. There it was with the, the period that they were in. Joseph's preparing a place. Mary's learning quickly all that she can about being a, a wife and a, and a future mom. And in the midst of their plans, God interrupted with this announcement. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33. It says, The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. Verse 31, You will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. This is not just any child. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. Teenagers, junior high girls, can you imagine having that kind of an angel appear and giving you that kind of word that not only are you going to to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit, but you're going to raise the Son of God? It's a testimony that you're never too young for God to work through you and for God to use you. 
She was going to have a son, but not just any son, the son of the Most High God, who would reign forever, whose kingdom would never end. Mary knew immediately the angel was not talking about a normal pregnancy. She asked, but how's this going to happen? I'm, I'm still a virgin. And she knew that this child was not just any ordinary child. He said this child would be the son of the most high God. There was something unique, something different that God was about to do. And, 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 and something that would, would interrupt her plans with Joseph. After the angel explains God's plan, Mary's response is remarkable for a girl her age or honestly for any person at at any age. Verse 38, Mary simply says to the Lord, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. What an incredible response for, for a young girl to be able to make to God. Mary, you're, you're, you're going to have God's son. And you're going to raise the Messiah that I promised you thousands of years before. And all Mary can say is, okay. If that's what God says, then I'm all in. I'm all in. Total willingness Surrender, trust. Again, Joseph was not immediately convinced by Mary's story. And so the angel appears to Joseph in a dream and he tells him that God's in this. And it says Joseph was, a, was, a, was thinking and considering that he was a righteous man. He was considering setting Mary aside privately, divorcing her privately. Because back then, to break off an engagement was the same as going through a divorce. And, and if your girl had cheated on you, you just had her stoned and she was dead and she was done. But he was righteous and he loved Mary. And he's going to just set her aside quietly, probably take the bullet himself and say, you know what, I've decided I'm going to go a different direction. And the angel says, Joseph, Mary's telling you the truth. This child is of God and you've been chosen to be the father. Take Mary home. Make her your wife, but you guys don't come together just yet. And so he did. Teenagers. Is this as funny to you as it is to me? Teenagers chosen to raise the son of God. I I wasn't ready to be a dad at 25. Much less as a young teenager. Still trying to figure out who I was and what that looked like. And yet, God says you're never too young to be used greatly by God. The world would think Zechariah and Elizabeth were too old. That's impossible. They would look at Joseph and Mary as this young teenage couple and say, not only is that impossible, but 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 it's it's irresponsible, it's immoral. How dare you? But God says in Luke one thirty seven, with God, all things are possible. And these guys were just dumb enough to believe. Just crazy enough to believe that God could do what he said he was going to do. That they were never too old or never too young. 
if you're willing to have your plans interrupted and allow God's plans to take priority and precedent over yours. So the first thing I would say to you today is this, that that you're never too old, nor are you never too young for God to use in a mighty way. I think there's a second thing here that I see, and that's this. And, And this was a big one for me, is that we cannot earn our place in God's story. We, we, we cannot earn our way into God's story. Now, I've always read this Bible story. I've always read this account. Uh, and and I, I've read that Joseph was a righteous man. And say, okay, if I'm just righteous, if I'm just good, if I just follow the rules, then maybe God can use me in a huge way and make me famous. Zechariah and Elizabeth were, were godly people. It, it says in Luke that, that these guys were, were incredible. I don't have this verse on the screen, but, but in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it says both of them were upright in the sight of God. They were observing all the Lord's commandments and, and regulations blamelessly. And I've always read that and thought, man, that's what I've got to be if I want to be used greatly of God. But I want to say to you something different today. I want to say to you that we can't earn our place into God's story. There were other elderly Jewish couples who had been barren all of their married lives, who served God faithfully, who loved God wholeheartedly, who were not chosen to be the parents of the forerunner of Christ. This had nothing to do with what Elizabeth and Zechariah brought to the table. It had everything to do with the grace of God, his choice, his purpose, his plan. Our righteous efforts don't guarantee us great fame or notoriety or that God will use us in some huge way. That doesn't guarantee us that. These guys were not the first or the last barren couple who live righteous lives but were not chosen. God's choice of them was by grace, not by their works. Just as it is today for you and me. They didn't earn this right. God, in his sovereignty, chose them to be the recipients of his blessings. And he chose them by grace. I would also say this, that God did not owe them anything for their righteous observance of his law. Joseph and Mary. They they were not the first nor the last Jewish couple, young teenage couple, to to do it by the book, to, to observe God's commandments, to wait till after marriage to have sex. They were not the first Jewish couple to, to abide by those rules. And yet God chose them. They didn't earn their way because they were righteous. They didn't earn their place in God's story. But by his grace, he chose them just as he chooses who he will work through today. Both couples, I think, fully understood this. They knew that God's grace and God's favor had been poured up out on them, that they hadn't earned such, this, such, such reward, that they didn't deserve God to, to do this to them, that they hadn't backed God in a corner and twisted God's arm and forced him to choose them. It, it wasn't what they brought to the table. Notice their response. A lot of times when we read this Christmas story, we, we skip over Mary's song. We, we skip over what she has to say in her response after the, the angel has, has left her. But look at verses 46 to 49. And Mary said, my soul 
glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. They will not say Mary earned this, that Mary needs to be honored, that Mary needs to be elevated, that Mary needs to be made into a saint. They don't say that. She says, God chose me. God blessed me. God did this, not me. And and she's glorifying God and she's praising God for what he has done. Look at Zechariah. His his response is over here in, in, in the latter part of chapter 1. In verses 68 through 69, he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and he has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Look in 76 through 79, he says, And you, my child, he's speaking now about what John will be and what John will do. You will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And because of the tender mercy of our God, not because of what I did as your dad, but because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the paths of peace. These guys knew that, 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 that them being chosen had nothing to do with them and everything to do with the grace of God. You say, how do you know that? Because both couples immediately give praise and glory and honor to God. Pride cannot praise God. Pride just pretends to praise God. But but think about this. These guys give praise and glory to God. You don't praise someone for giving you something you think you've earned. How many of y'all go to work all week and on Friday you get your paycheck and you praise your employer for paying you for all those hours you put in? We don't praise people who give us what we think we've earned or what we deserve. We praise somebody who gives us something that we know we haven't deserved. And immediately their response is that of praise. It's that of glorifying God and saying, Lord, I am undeserving of this honor. But praise God, you've chosen me. They knew it was by grace. So many people fail to praise God because in their pride they think they are where they are doing what they're doing because of something they accomplished. Listen, Christians. This can be us. This was me. I grew up, I tried to keep the rules, I tried to to do what was told to me to do. I was a pretty compliant kid for the most part. And when God's blessings began to be poured out on me, the real temptation was to think, yeah, I, I did it right. And I'm one of those that God can use. I didn't stray far. I didn't venture way out. I didn't get into all that other stuff that everybody else was getting into. God can use somebody like me. And we can grow prideful when God blesses us if we think that we somehow deserve that. 
And we become judgmental, and we become harsh toward other people. We look down our nose at other people, and we think in our minds, even if we don't say it with our lips, that we are somehow better than everybody else around us, and that we deserve God's blessing. And that's just not true. Perhaps that's why so few people praise God today. Because they've bought the lie that somehow they deserve the blessings that God's poured out on them. That somehow they deserve this, this life of ease and comfort and blessings. And perhaps that's why their faith is shattered when hardships come. Because they think, God, why, how can you, this is not fair. I've served my whole life for you. And he says, no, you've used me your whole life. You've thought it was all about you. Our righteousness does not guarantee us anything. At best, it keeps our hearts tender. It keeps our ears open for that moment when God does call our name. For that moment when God does say, I've got an assignment for you. I've got a plan for your life. It keeps us tender. It keeps us humble. It prepares us to say yes to God, but it doesn't guarantee us that God will ever choose to do great things in the eyes of this world. I want you to, to grab something with me today. I want you to see how that the central figure in the Christmas incarnation is not Mary. It's not Joseph. It's not the angel. It's not Elizabeth or Zechariah. The central figure in this story is God himself. And every one of the people mentioned in this story sees it and gets it. And it's important that we do the same. Zechariah knew that God alone deserved all the glory, honor, and praise. We, we read in verse 69 where he said that. He, he said he'd given all the praise and the glory to the Lord. Praise be to the God of Israel. Because he has come. It's all about God. Elizabeth knew it in, in, verses, in verse 25, chapter 1, verse 25. She says, the Lord has done this for me. She knew this was God's story, not her story. Mary knew it in verses 46 and 47. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The shepherds knew it in chapter 2, verse 26. Look what they said, 226. Let me find it. It says to the shepherds, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. I'm in the wrong place. I wrote down the wrong verse. 220. I'm so sorry. I can't read my own writing here. I knew that didn't sound right. It says the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The angels knew it in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men with whom his favor rests. Um, the magi knew it when they show up in chapter 2, verse, verse 11. It says, today in the, in, in the town of David, Christ the Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. 
I'm so sorry, that is in Matthew. I'm reading, golly guys, you got to work with me here. Matthew 2, 11, I'm in the wrong book. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Let's back up and grab it and get it right. Proof, proof that God doesn't use us because we're perfect, right? All right, just grab that. That's, it's just, I, I did that on purpose so that you guys would, would get the point, okay? <laughs> if you believe that, no, no. All right, here we go. Chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. These guys understood who the hero of the story was, who deserved all the praise and glory and honor. Back in Luke chapter 2, Parents are taking Jesus to present him in the temple, and there's a, a man there, a, a prophet of God named Simeon, and he knew who deserved all the praise and glory. And in chapter 2, verse 28, it says, Simeon took him in his arms, and he praised God. Anna, the prophetess who had been in the temple serving God since her husband had died, 84 years old, she knew who was to be praised says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. They understood who this story was about. It was all about God. God stepping into time. God coming in the flesh. God coming to rescue sinners from their sin. And we would do well to learn that truth too. God here is the lead actor. Everyone else is playing a supporting role. And and, and anytime God uses a person to fulfill his plan, it's only by his grace, not because he owes us anything at all. The third thing I would say to you is this, and, and you need to take this to heart. To join in God's story is costly. To join in God's story is costly. At, at, at a bare minimum, you've got to be willing to be interrupted. At, at a bare minimum, to join God's story, you've got to let go of your story. In, in order to join God's story and to be a part of his plan, you've got to lay down your plans. And so at, at a bare minimum, it's, it's an interruption. You've got to lay down your plans in order to carry out God's plans. And if you cherish your plans more than God's plans, you'll never be greatly used by God. And and God's plans can lead us through times not just of interruption, but God's plans can lead us through times of suffering, times of pain, times of humiliation, rejection, and great loss. You say, why in the world would you say that? Only because it's true. We don't like to think about that. We don't like to talk about that. We like to think that, 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 that God's plans for us are these plans that are going to take us and, and we're never going to suffer. We're never going to experience any kind of rejection at all. And that's just simply not true. Zechariah and Elizabeth had spent most of their married life, most of their married life under this cloud of disgrace. Their friends, their neighbors looked at them with disgrace and tried to wonder what they had done to tick God off. 
what they had done to make God so mad that he wouldn't give them a child. They knew that, that they had messed up somewhere, and, and, and we know that because in Luke one twenty five, uh, Elizabeth says that, that as God revealed to her she was going to have a child, her response was that he has shown his favor and he has taken away my disgrace. There was suffering involved in, 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 in all that delay between the time they prayed and the time that God answered. There was this disgrace and there was people looking at them with suspicion wondering, what have you done to make God so mad? Sometimes when we join God's story, we're going to suffer and we're going to be looked at different. The reality was and the truth is that God was not punishing them God was preparing them. The world saw it as punishment. Maybe even Zechariah and Elizabeth saw it as punishment. Everybody else is having kids and everybody else is raising their families and and we're left here with this empty nest. What's wrong? God says, I'm not punishing you. I'm preparing you. In my perfect timing, my plan will be fulfilled. Talk about suffering and rejection and loss. Think about Joseph and Mary. We, we kind of want to put this, this, I don't know, man, this Disney spin on the Christmas story that, that the angel comes and he says, hey, dude, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, oh, cool. And everybody gathers around and everybody celebrates and everybody just has this great time and they live happily ever after. That's not the biblical story. When a teenage girl showed up pregnant out of wedlock, that was not good news in that day. Guys, have you ever stopped to think about the fact that nowhere in all the pages of Scripture are their families ever mentioned? Not a word about Joseph's family. Where he came from, yeah, okay. But not a word after this. Not a word about Mary's family. He he took her to his home, and then they're forced to go to Bethlehem. They give birth to a child. There's no one there to celebrate. Now, now with John the Baptist, when he was born, it says all their friends and their family gathered around and celebrated all that God had done. Not so with Joseph and Mary. They're, they're stuck in a, in a stable because nobody even give them a room. And the only people that show up for the birth of God's son are some stinky animals and stinky shepherds who smell like animals. And that's it. And these young teenagers are left alone trying to figure out what to do with God's son. Sure, they're scorned by their family. Scandal surrounds the pregnancy. The headlines in the Jerusalem News Teen pregnancy. Bride claims. (laughs) Yeah, we know. The loneliness of leaving everything behind. Having your child in a faraway place. All alone. And again, no mention of her family or his family ever again. If that wasn't enough, then comes the persecution. Herod decides 
I've got to kill all these baby boys because I've got to stomp out this new ruler, this leader, this king that is coming. And they have to flee to Egypt even farther from home. Years pass before they're able to return to their homeland. Loneliness, persecution, scandal, rejection, suspicion. Listen, do you realize that the suspicion about the circumstances surrounding Jesus' conception and birth followed him all the way into his ministry? They, they, well, we know who you are. You're the son of that carpenter, or so you say. <laughs> we know. The persecution and the pain. It's part of the story. It's part of God's grace and God's comfort also. So I've got to ask why we assume that, that if I accept God's call and I faithfully try to carry it out, that it's going to be some kind of an easy task filled with nothing but God's abundant blessings, absent of trials and hardships and heartbreak. Why do we think that? Why do we think that if we get on board with God, it's going to just be all ease and comfort from here on out? Simeon warned Mary, chapter 2, verse 35, he warns Mary that a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. If this is not enough, there's more to come. The suffering will be great. Welcome to motherhood. I would encourage you this morning not to let the cost of joining God's story keep you from missing the blessing of being a part of what God's doing. Jesus says, count the cost. Know what you're getting into. God did that before he ever created. God knew before he created Adam and Eve in the garden what it would cost him to redeem humanity. And he still created. And he still came. Count the cost. And then gladly sacrifice everything for the one who gladly sacrificed everything for you. Why? Because that's what love does. And if we love God, we will do that as well. So be forewarned that being greatly used by God usually comes at a great price. Even for those, listen, even for those who love God and are loved by God. Don't believe me? Just ask Jesus, who was loved perfectly and who loved the Father perfectly and suffered greater than anyone I know. And finally, the fourth thing I would share with you this morning is this. And, and, and this, uh, I hope I can do justice to what I'm about to say. I, I, I've got to admit, I've got to point out that the most amazing thing about the incarnation of Christmas, the most amazing part is not that an older couple could have a son that would prepare the way for the Messiah. Not even that an unmarried virgin could conceive and give birth to the Son of God. Those things are amazing, but that is not the amazing part of the Christmas story. The most amazing part of the Christmas story is that God would come after us in the first place. That God would even care to come. That God would choose to redeem us as sinners and fallen people who've turned our backs on him. You see, the why of Christmas is a whole lot more amazing than the how of Christmas. Yet we spend most of our time fascinated with the how. Wow, how did, how did God do that with Mary? 
How did God do that with Zechariah? How did God, how did God, how did God? And, and, and the how is not near as amazing as the why. The why. In other words, his love is even more amazing than his power. And guys, his power is pretty doggone amazing. Think about God's power. He, he speaks and the world comes into existence. God wills something and it is. He, he raises up nations and leaders and then he takes them out. He speaks and dead people come back to life. The wind and the waves obey his every command. And if that wasn't enough, even Satan has no power or authority except that which God grants him. His power is pretty amazing. But even more amazing than God's power is God's love. Even more amazing than, than, than what God does is why God does it. His love extends toward those of us who opposed him. His love reaches out toward us while we were rejecting him. While we were rebelling and resisting against his tug on our heart, he continued to love. In fact, God's love is a love for those who are everything that God is not. The Bible says he came for us while we were still sinners. That he loved us with a love that broke down our resistance and captured our hearts. The Bible says that those of us that were slaves to sin, which is all of us, that we were redeemed by his blood that was shed on a cross that was carved out of a tree that he planted himself. And his crucifixion was arranged by a religious system that he had instituted, that man had corrupted. It was carried out by a government that God had put in power and insisted upon by individuals that God had created and those that he was actually dying to save. Tell me where else you can find that kind of love. Where else you can find a, a God that, that would love you like that. You see, God's love for you and God's love for me, God's love for all of us is the most amazing part of this whole story. God, this, this Christmas is all about his great love that led him to take on flesh, to led him to dwell among us in order to save us from ourselves and make us his very own. God's the hero of the story. This is God's story of redemption, not ours. It, it's carried out by, in God's perfect timing, not in ours. It's, it's carried out by his powerful hand through his chosen people according to his faithful promise. So the answer to why he would do all of this is because of his great love for us. True love sacrifices for the object of that love. And he bestowed his love upon us. The result is this, that his righteousness can become ours, that his abundant grace can cover all of our sins, that his complete forgiveness can be extended to the end of our sin. 
The result is that his spirit creates in us a new heart with new desires. And that those who are enemies of God are made family of God. And that those who will respond to his call can spend eternity with him. You see, this is his story. It's his work. It's his kingdom. And we are, by grace, simply his servants. That's it. We serve at his pleasure. And we serve for his glory. And when he comes calling, we would be wise to echo the same words of Mary. Luke one thirty eight. I am the Lord's servant. Be it done unto me as God has said. I want you to experience God's amazing love today by allowing him to interrupt your plans and your future and experiencing his plan instead. By seeking the giver more than you seek the gift and by making God the hero of your story and your life and your legacy. Then and only then will you be able to praise him for his grace, for his love and for his mercy. The grace and the love and the mercy that he poured out on you and on me. The most of all, undeserving servants. That for whatever reason, unbeknownst to us, God has chosen us to be his Have you experienced the greatest miracle of Christmas? Do you understand the why and not just the how that God did that? I think right now that could be your story. To say, you know what? I realize not just that God came, but, but why God came. And I see that love for what it is and I want that story to be my story. So I want to invite you to pray with me this morning as we close. And if you've never surrendered your will to his will, maybe today you would hear God calling your name as Mary heard him call her name. And maybe today you would say, Lord, I hear you and I'm ready. I want to be yours and I want to live with you and I want to live for you. And I, I don't need to be the hero of this story. I need you to be. My life is your life. My future is yours. I want to give you everything right now from this moment forward. Let's pray.